0: Bye. Mm-hmm. Do me a favor, um, I know I don't, what's he going to do? I need you to tell someone to your right and your left, tell them, do you know how much you are loved by God? Come on, just say that for me. Go ahead, go for it. Do you know He gave everything? Come on now. He did. You are, you're so, you know, we're so loved. The Lord, you know, He gave His only Son as living proof, right? Uh, I mentioned this ninth, ninth chapter of John and uh, how it centers around the healing of this man who was born blind. And again, the entire chapter focuses on him. And the man that emerges is this amazing, charming personality. It's one of those parts of the scriptures where you get to really get a feel for the person. Now, here's the interesting thing. So much about this man who was born blind and healed... We're kind of given around just the kind of person he was. So he's got this amazing kind of charm and wit to him. He surprises a lot of people. He's a colorful figure actually, his honesty, his forthrightness, his courage, and then ultimately his loyalty. It's, he's just a great, great guy to look at in terms of his example and his emerging faith, which just sort of slowly grows through the chapter. But here's the thing, we don't know his name. His name is never given to us. So all this time he's always referred to as the man born blind in John 9 that Jesus healed. And I want us to, if we can, just sort of start by, and this is again our launching point. Uh, I want to look at the initial setup of what happened. And then I would like to draw some things also for you and me that I I hope could actually hit us in terms of in a positive way where we are as well. And so in John 9, we're going to look at verse 1. And I'd like to just kind of read it through <coughs> in your handout there, in your Bibles, your Bible app, whatever, whatever you have right now. It says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Now, the subtle paradox, obviously, should not be lost on us. It's kind of ironic, right? Do you see it? He saw a man who was born blind. So he saw a man who could not see. A ray of light. One of the things we know is that he had, he wasn't just a person who had become blind. There wasn't like an accident that occurred or some type of a disease that that was acquired that perhaps he would have had a memory of things that he could have seen. No, this was a man, we're told, that came out of the womb blind, which means he never saw anything in his life but darkness. All he saw was darkness and that was his entire experience. And it's, a, it's pretty intense when you think about it. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan, the, the wonderful Bible commentator, he's very poetic. And I love the way he sometimes captures something. He wrote this, this. is in the bottom of your handout as well. He said, the arresting central fact is that here is a man sitting as a beggar seeking alms. Moreover, a man born blind, this blind from his birth, right? A man who had never looked into his mother's face, had never seen the face of nature, had never beheld the temple courts. He, had been, he may have been strangely familiar with them by touch, that, that marvelous new sense that comes to people when they're deprived of sight. Nevertheless, as we have said, he had never seen the lake, he had never seen the hills, he had never seen the flowers. He was a human being, apparently and almost certainly in possession of all of his other powers, lacking the supreme gift of sight, right? So, you, you know, you, you look at that and you go, wow, you know, this is, this is a, something that maybe a lot of us maybe we can't relate to. I'd like to see if we can, in our mind's eye, drop back and try to picture ourselves with Jesus. And it's good to do this when we read the Gospels. You know, the interesting thing is you can go to, still to Jerusalem right now, I mean, and walk the streets, if you will, where Jesus walked, at least in the, in the, in the city of David, in the part of Jerusalem where you see the, the remnants of what was. And you get the impression that coming out of the temple, you can kind of see how it probably would have been. Here was a man who had been begging. There was no social system for him to draw from. There was no governmental uh, backup, no city and county structures, nothing. Uh, There weren't even extra societies and, and kind of outreaches and support systems. There was nothing. If you were in a situation like the one he found himself in and you didn't have family, you had nothing. You had nowhere to go. Here he is begging, as it were. He did have a family, evidently. This is how he received his resources. He, he begged outside the temple. And it seems that Jesus, we're told, was walking by. And the word that we're given here, when you re- look at it, it says, when he saw a man who was blind from birth. That's not just any word. Like, in the original New Testament Greek, there are different words. You know, some for, sometimes like a word like love will have three or four different definitions are words that kind of capture an aspect of something, seeing has that similar thing. The word here is "edo." it it means in contrast to say just walking by and sort of noticing something as you're passing by um, with a casual glance of thinking nothing of it or even maybe not even being aware of it, just kind of walking and, and not seeing or if you do you just take a glance and move on. This particular word implies like a total focus, a fixed attentiveness almost as if one was examining something. And if we can imagine Jesus moving with his disciples from the temple grounds and coming by this man who has been there who he may have passed many, many times and there were many others like him. But for whatever the reason, Jesus, as he's talking with his disciples, he stops. And it says that he looked at this man almost as if I could say it, as if he was like almost listening as he looked at him. And as he looks at this man who's probably holding out his cup, it says that the disciples noted it. They noticed that Jesus had stopped. And they probably also looked at, they looked at who Jesus was looking at. He was looking at the, the, the blind man begging, and then they looked probably at one another. It's like, and they look back at him, Jesus is saying nothing. He's just looking at him. And then it's almost as if they get the impression as they're looking at one another that maybe this is an opportunity. Jesus clearly is looking at this man who's been born blind. And so they decide to ask Jesus a question. It's a, it's a legitimate question that they ask. and the, Now, the way they frame the question is... Is framed by their, the presuppositions of their worldview, but the question that they ask Jesus is actually an interesting one because they're noticing he's looking at him. I mean, clearly he, there's a reason why Jesus has stopped, and they say, um, "Rabbi, teacher, this man, this man, uh, do you?" And look at, the, look at the way it's look at the way it's formed in that second verse. Rabbi, um, who? Who sinned? Who sinned? Uh, was it was it him, or was it like his parent? Was it his parents? To, the the idea that they have is that to be in such a condition as this man was. It obviously was connected to some type of a curse or a a product of something that you had done, and so in their mind, their mind, they didn't even they bypassed already the 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 other alternative ideas. In their mind, it was just a question of well, who was responsible? Whose sin was responsible for this this man's condition, right? So that's how they're thinking. They're thinking, well, was it something he did that got him in that place, or? Or, you know, Lord, um, was it connected to his, his family? Like generational sin kind of passed down and a curse and a judgment that was on this guy. So they're having this, this theological question around this man that they first noticed because they're seeing Jesus looking at him. And Jesus surprises them because it's almost like they're asking, what did he do? What did he do? And again, they're pretty sincere in it. And what does Jesus say? Jesus looks back at them, and I'm thinking he's looking at the man as well, and he says, um, neither this man nor his parents. So that's the first thing he says. Neither of them sinned. It's not like this is a result of that. But, but, but Jesus says, but that's not even, but that the works of men, the phrase that follows, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. It's almost like Jesus dismissed their conclusions. Neither. And he refuses to pursue the theological question. He won't even engage it. It's like he pushes it aside and instead says, essentially, as to how it has happened, that is not my interest right now. What my interest is is right now, essentially, is is that this is an opportunity for the goodness of God to be at work. And in that moment, there was something already going on with Jesus. That, it, that this was not just some ordinary exchange. There was a purpose in what Jesus was about to do. It's almost like they, they wanted to discuss the why of it. They wanted to get down and understand it. Like, who's responsible? Why did this happen? Why do bad things happen here? Lord, can we talk about this right now? This is a great opportunity for us to have a wonderful teaching from you on how to understand this kind of stuff, right? That's how they're talking. And Jesus says, look, I, for one, I'm, I'm, not inter- I'm not interested right now. He's not focused on the explanation, he's focused on on a solution. Now, there were other times when Jesus was very focused on explanations. There were times where Jesus would talk in depth about certain things and give a perspective that caught people off guard. But in this particular case, Jesus says, "Neither, neither of your conclusions are correct, but I don't even want to talk about it. I'm not interested in that. What I'm interested in right now is that this man, if, he, if I can say it this way, what is interested, what I'm most interested in right now is that I'm going to heal this man. Now, the, the, that and then he says, and then with this following explanation, look what he says in verse 4. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. That's a curious phrase. What is he saying? While, the, while it is day, is like while the opportunity exists. Because the night is coming when no one can work. Now, what are you talking about, Lord? That's one thing I would immediately say. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But what Jesus is getting at is, and notice the way he weaves in and out of light and day. Night and day, light, seeing, they're all, these are all woven into this. It has everything to do with the purpose for which he has come. And I'm not gonna say this is the only purpose, but clearly, this man represents the utter helplessness that human, human beings have actually found themselves in when it comes to the spiritual need that is present in every one of us, that he has come to address, he who is the light of the world. But that is, is another story. Let me suggest something and just put this out there. I wanna ask a quite. In fact, I wanna use it by asking a series of questions. I wanna ask this question. What extremity, what adversity, what limitation if you will, in our life is God's opportunity. As I probed into this passage, that was one of the things that became clear is that there are places that we find ourselves, get ourselves into, what I might call them desperate places, desperate places, but there are also places where God's grace can show up, like desperate spaces for, can become grace places, right? This, this whole idea that God um, wants to move in our lives and he's able to sustain and deliver, and there's no limit to what he can do. There's, if I can say it this way, there's no limit to what he can do with our limitations. Right? That's pretty clear. Can you hear me when I say that our past, um, our loss, our pain, our present struggle, whatever it may be, I don't know what. We all have something, I suspect. Maybe more than a few. Something that's very hard for us. Might be connected to somebody. Might be something inside of us. Come to the conclusion that we're always... Once in a while in life, you'll have patches where it's, it's like there's nothing really... We're not struggling with anything. But m- most of the time, there's something. It could be linked to our past. It could be linked to the way we see things. It could be linked to... A relationship issue. It could be related to how we're thinking. It's something. It could be something that we're doing that we don't even want to do. It could be connected to a, a, lack, a lack of clarity and fear and unease or an anxiety that seems to cling to us. Whatever our struggle that we're having that no one knows about, but it's so hard for us. I mean, it can be anything like that. And one of the things we need to remind ourselves of is that God can take those things that we are most um, struggling with and he can bring about through his goodness and grace a possibility that that we sometimes can't even envision just like this man could not envision the vision he was about to be given on the basis of his condition and I'm going to suggest that the Apostle Paul stay with me here I think the Apostle Paul grasped this principle that's why we've talked about in the passage where he was wrestling with things in his own life about a problem he had. And one of the things that came up with the Apostle Paul is that he had this thing, we call it a thorn in the flesh. We don't really even know what it was, but he, had, he, he was struggling with something deeply. And he came, and it's like the Lord gave him a word. And I, we just, I'll put it up there. It's, the, it's in your handout, but it's a different version I wanted to have them put up in 2 Corinthians 12 9. It says, Each time he said, This is talking about the Lord, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness, so now I'm glad to boast about my weakness. Paul says, and he goes on to talk about so the power of Christ can work within me. Now, again, this phrase, "His power works best in my weakness," is something else. It's like, what are our weakest zones? What would it look like to welcome Christ into those zones? Because he, Paul's saying, "Look, I'm getting pummeled." I, he's saying, "I'm getting." This thing that's going on inside of me, he calls it a messenger of Satan. He's so disturbed by it. He asks God to get it out of him. God seems to be almost involved with it, where it's like God says, um, My grace is sufficient. I'm using this. So he, God's allowing something that Paul, you've got all these different things swirling about. Something he says is a messenger from Satan to buffet me something that God is allowing to develop me, something that's happening inside of me at a physical and an emotional level. I don't want it, he calls it his thorn in the flesh. And that's when the Lord says, listen, Paul, my power works best in your weakness. And so he's, what's happened is Paul's kind of stuck, right? He he can't get out. And so all of a sudden it's like, can we see how God is helping him to get unstuck? He's fixated on what is wrong. And God is reminding him that you don't understand. This is actually an opportunity for my power to show up in your life in a way that would not be able to show up in no other way. That There is a work of grace that I can do in and through this that could not come any other way. And so I look at it and I say, the Lord is trying to help him because Paul's stuck in his problem. And the Lord is trying to help him get out of it and he's reminding him that what all what seems if you can shift your focus and you watch how paul shifts that focus right he sh- he turns it and he starts to change his attitude around it now he still doesn't want it can't stand it would love to have it solved would love to have it gone but can't get it so he tells himself he reminds himself actually that in some way if I can approach it in the right way this is actually a blessing to me because it's causing me to rely on God's strength in a way that I would have never done in an area of my strength if I didn't have this struggle I probably wouldn't be turning him the way that I and I would not be experiencing him and his grace the way that I am presently And that's what the Lord was trying to help him right and I think the Lord And you're going to see why I make why I make the connection here. I think there are times when we find ourselves in situations in our lives that we just say, "I want this thing out." But what happens is, we we can get stuck. And I'll put this question up: Are we stuck in our diagnosis? Are we stuck in our whys? There are times where this can happen. Say, what's the connection here? Again, Paul's trying to get unstuck. But I want to go back to the account with the blind man. They, what do they say? Jesus is looking at the blind man who's begging and they say, Lord, why did this happen? Why? Can you explain the why? And they want to get into the whole why. And Jesus, you know, he starts, their reasoning, Jesus goes to work. Sometimes we get stuck in the, diagnosis and in the why and we miss the opportunity that's before us and I'm not suggesting there's never a time to debate and think and analyze and seek an explanation to ponder to probe especially there are times where it's very appropriate to look inside at the interior of our heart and to examine why is this coming out of me why do I act this way why am I responding this way why am I struggling so hard here what's going on Lord? there are times where it's absolutely appropriate to get utterly honest with God in a way that you wouldn't even get with any other human being that's what we talk about sometimes just having a prayer journal or writing your prayers and your thoughts and your struggles asking the Lord to just Lord help me in this situation I'm trying to understand what's going on here I need your help I need you to meet me in this place we talk about having you know portions of scripture that we claim as our own for certain seasons of our lives you see, there's a value in that, no question. And I'm not suggesting throwing out good theology or dismissing our need for sound doctrine or biblical teaching. So I'm not saying that. I, 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 in fact, if anything, those of us who follow Jesus, hear me on this one. We need to study the scriptures. We, we do need to know what we believe and why we believe it and, we need to be around people who are a little further along than us as we're young in the Lord. And we need to grow in our faith and have a better understanding and a better way of explaining what we believe and, and be able to anchor ourselves in the whys of our faith. Because when the inevitable winds and traumas of life hit, and as Jesus called it, the storm gales that come at us and the winds and the waters rise, there needs to be a foundation that we are built on. A lot of times, the 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 faith that we have is very fragile if it's not rooted in knowledge and understanding. But having said that, those of us who would would understand also need to understand that there's a need to implement that in our real life. I came acro- I'll came i give you an example. I came across this uh, statement from uh, Eugene Peterson, who's a writer. I, I really like the way he captures things. Look what he says here about the integration of faith and spirituality and, in terms of just maybe... Um, you know, how we, how we put our thinking and the practice into play. Look what he says. Just, I want to put it up. Living, he says, is the thing, not knowing. Just because you know something, look at that, doesn't necessarily mean you live it. Stop right there. Living is the thing, not just knowing it. Just because we know it doesn't necessarily mean that we are living it, right? So there's a very important piece here to remember. I may know the right things. I may believe the right things, but living it out is needed. But then look what Peterson goes on to say. He flips it over on the other side and he says this. But I do need to point out, of course, that if you do not know the right thing, you'll live the wrong thing. So it's not like you can really separate the two. That's what he's saying. He's saying it's both. It's, you got to How do you live out what you don't know? But even if you know it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to live it out. And if we're not living it out, then actually knowing it is not enough. But if you never even know it, say so he's really getting into it, and I'm loving that. And I'm going yes, I agree. I I, I think that that faith faith has to be honestly thought out, no question. And we are to be, I, I, I feel strongly about this, a thinking people, a reflective people, that a follower of Jesus, as the contention is being na- made, needs to really study the life of Christ, needs to talk about it regularly with others, needs to understand the scriptures we claim to believe. What did Jesus say? Can I talk about him with others? There needs to be a substance to our faith, a thinking part of it. We are called to be people who, who think about things inside of our own hearts that we're reflecting. We're, we're checking in. We're taking inventory. We're trying to get better. You hear what I'm saying? We're, we're not just ignoring stuff. We're being real with our heart before God. There's real, genuine life interaction taking place that part of our way of life is to have him at the center of our life. And his words are always close to us in our heart, even on my mouth. They're in the conversations I have and the thought processes. They affect how we, we engage relationships. They affect the way in which we treat people that we love, people that we work with. It affects also how, listen, we deal with things inside of us. But here's what I'm gonna also say. As good as that is, and now we're going right back to what Jesus had to say to the disciples. <laughs> I think it is possible for us to get to a place where we start to overthink things. Again, I go back to that question. Are we stuck in the diagnosis, stuck in our whys, right? Sometimes we we fixate to a point of frustration. Lord, why did this happen? Why, Why is this man like this? Why, Lord? You see, a lot of times we get stuck in the why, We get stuck in the diagnosis. What's going on inside of me? Why do I feel the way I feel? When is this going to end? What's happening here? Why can't this change? Where are you? All that why stuff stuck right there. When is this going to open up for me? All the questions, right? The why, the diagnosis. This is where we get stuck a lot of times. Again, we can find ourselves in a place where we start. And some of us, this is really where we struggle. Because we start, (laughs) we start, we we will micro-analyze something to the T. I mean, we'll we'll like go over it and over it in our mind. It's like it's is you know we wake up thinking about it. We go. It's it's like a loop, a mental loop, and we think you know it's just always something's there. It's just we can't get out. It's like even when we get a little space, it comes back. It starts dominating. It's like when is this going to? And I think the the Lord will say to some of us at times, you know, stop analyzing, you want, we want to know the why. He said, the Lord said, I'm not going to give you the why. I want to know, when is this going to end? I'm not going to talk. Uh, this, is not an, this is not a time to discuss. You know what? Right now, what I want you to do is experience my mercy and grace. But I want the why. I want the answer. I want the way out. No, what I want you to be ready for is this amazing thing that I want to do inside of you around this issue. Well, that's, that's a very different perspective, right? There are times where I think that maybe, maybe sometimes what the Lord is really trying to do is challenge our attitude on something that's just not going to go away right away, right? Sometimes instead of asking why, we just need to make room for what he wants to do and this, is, and, so, and this leads me to the final question that I'm going to present in conjunction with this teaching, which is this. Is there something, loved one, is there some type of, if I can call it this way, work that he wants to do in us? Like, what is the work that he wants to do in us? And let's position ourselves for that work. I look at the blind man, and he had no idea What was going to happen to him if he he had no clue that God was about to just utterly alter his life. And the real miracle, by the way, we would be tempted to read this and say, you know, the miracle, the real miracle, it was that he got his eyesight. But Jesus would say, actually, that wasn't the real miracle. The miracle is what happens inside of his heart in relation to me. By the time he's done, it's double miracle. There's vision all over the place. It's not just this vision. It's vision inside of him. It's an understanding of Jesus that didn't exist. It's Everything opens up to him. For the disciples, they don't have any clue either. They're trying to debate theology, and Jesus is already trying to work in a way. He's already got a whole other path in mind. I'm going to say so a lot of times, and I don't really know how to quite say it, but a lot of times the, the best thing we can do if I was summarizing it all down, it's like the Lord is, wants us to be open to things that maybe don't fit how we want them solved. And a lot of times we will just do mental gymnastics. We'll run around in circles trying to figure out a way. Right. I got to figure a way out of this thing. I'm going to do it. I'm going to think this through. I'm going to find out why is this happening to me? And I'm going to say that this, hey, look, sometimes, sometimes. Maybe the best thing to do is stop overthinking it. And I want to know why. I don't know when. Give me the diagnosis. You want to say, yeah, Um, I'm not going to answer the question the way you want it. What I'm going to do is even better. Are you ready? Because I'm about ready to dispense my mercy in your life in a way that wouldn't be possible. But the key is, every time we talk about vision correction, it has to do with Focusing our eyes in His direction. And so, what that tells me is, Lord, in these struggling places, I need to think differently. I can get so locked up. I can get so locked up in what I want to see happen, solved, whatever it is. And instead, maybe you're saying to me is, don't try to solve that. Don't try to solve that thing. Bring your attitude in alignment with me. And... Look towards me. Well, what does that mean? Look towards me. Trust me. Just stay open to me. But when is this going to end? Or how is this going to get solved? Trust me. Walk with me. Lord, what about this man's condition? Like, how did it, how did it happen? Like, when is he, when's he, when's he, you know, was it his fault? Was it his parents' fault? Where, where are we going to, how is it going to get solved? What's no, no, no. I'm not interested in that right now. Stop that. I'm not interested in having a discussion around the why. I want you to trust me in a way that actually is going to release a flow of mercy that wouldn't be possible any other way. You don't even understand. What I'm about to do is better than the why being answered. So a lot of times the Lord is trying to get our attention to trust him. In ways that we're having a struggle time doing. And I understand that. But his grace. He, what is he saying? When I look to him. What is he saying? Be open to my touch. Be open to my touch. Be open to my touch of mercy and grace at work in your life. Don't put, the, don't put me on a timeline. And don't assume it has to be done this way. You may not get the answer you want, but you're going to get something different and it's going to look beautiful in a different way. If you, turn, if you stay with me on this, watch what I'm about to do again. Now, when we close the service, we have this song, right? Your Mercy. And what I want to invite us to do is when it's shared, and this will be after our time of giving, And um, but after, after that, if there's an area in your own heart or our heart or a part of our life where we sense the Lord saying, you know, you've been struggling too hard on this. You're holding too hard. You're very anxious about this. You need to trust me here. You need to look to me here. Let my mercy flow here. Let my grace flow here. So whatever that is, just as we close this time, I mean, really engage this moment together. with the Lord speak to us about it. And and just like say, Lord, I'm in I'm I'm gonna receive this with you and bring my heart before you, open up possibility for you. Just help me. So I'm gonna pray. We'll have our time of giving. And again, I know more and more of us are giving in different ways now on the on the app and and stuff like that, but we still have a time of giving. That's how our church does its ministry together. Not only that, it's faithfulness Oh, I, I can talk about this for a long time, but I'm just, I'm just going to pray right now, okay? Uh, Lord, I ask that you would be with us in these, uh, in these closing minutes together, knowing that there may be areas that we're holding on too tightly. And maybe, like the disciples, we, we're, get, we're stuck in our analysis, we're stuck in our why, we're stuck in our diagnosis. And instead... We just need to trust you and lean towards you and create openings for your mercy to flow. And so you're the life giver. You're the light giver. Bring it into us even now. So I pray your blessing. I pray your grace. I pray your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen, Lord.